0: This evening's scripture is James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
1: Good evening and welcome to Grace Town. My name is Jason, staff pastor here at Grace. And we here at Grace are a people that want to know the gospel, believe the gospel, and share the gospel with others because we believe that it's good news for us and others. So we are going to be opening God's Word tonight and looking at James chapter 1, the end of chapter 1, and a little bit in chapter 2 as well. Last week we started um, kind of a two-part message where we talked about how to love our neighbor, and we're looking again at how to love our neighbor tonight. Last week we looked at how to love our neighbor by avoiding partiality, especially in terms of um, Treating others according to maybe being of a different race than us or being in a different socioeconomic status or just people where maybe we don't understand them. Uh, This week we're looking at more of the positive. How do we positively love our neighbor? And we're looking at ultimately what this series is about, Faith That Works. James talks about how faith works. If we genuinely have faith in God, if we genuinely have faith in the finished work of Jesus, if we really believe that the gospel is good news, then it will produce good works in us. And particularly as we look at the end of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2, we see works that lead to loving our neighbor. I am neither as funny as Olivia, uh, nor my voice as good as Andrew's, nor can I sing like Jeff or Laura, uh, but we are going to open up God's word and hear from him tonight. Would you pray with me? Father, we look to you now, and God, we ask that you would speak through your word, your spirit, and your people tonight. We confess we need to hear from you. God, help us to know what faith really looks like. Help us to know what you are asking us to do. Father, show us what it looks like to love our neighbor. Father, remind us of the good news tonight. God, I pray that whatever weight each one carried in here tonight, they would leave with you taking that weight off of their shoulders. God, I I pray specifically for us as we so often try to accomplish the law in and of ourselves we try to be good people we try to be more religious or we just try to live up to other people's standards for us god but we fall short god would you show us what the good news looks like would you show us what jesus has done for us and would you speak to us here tonight in jesus name amen Last week, we looked at what faith without works looks like and how it is not genuine faith. Tonight, we're looking at what faith that works looks like. We're looking at what faith that works looks like. Tonight, we're going to read this phrase, the law of liberty, the law of liberty. Something inside of you should hear that phrase, should read that phrase, the law of liberty, and something inside of you should say, that doesn't sound quite right. And you're right. Those two words, law and liberty, typically do not go together. So what is James talking about when he says the law of liberty? How do we let this law of liberty drive our lives? And what is this law that he speaks of? James chapter 1, verse 22, we read, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, Deceiving yourselves. In James chapter 2, verse 8, we read, If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. This, these last two verses that we've looked at, this is the goal. This is what James is trying to get us to do, trying to get us to understand. He wants us to not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word, and he wants us to not show partiality, but to love our neighbor as ourself. He wants us to have a faith that doesn't just theologically nod our head to the things we agree with, but that leads to action, that leads to works. He is stating here the goal of faith, both in the positive and in the negative. The negative that he is stating here is we cannot just be people that nod and assent to the right things, but we need to obey. If we really understand our faith, if we really understand the good news of the gospel, then we will be doers of the word. The negative is nodding and not doing. The positive is hearing, but then doing. This is behind the thesis of everything that James is trying to say In this book. So, how do we become doers of the word? Or more specifically, how do we love our neighbor instead of showing partiality or reacting in anger? Or how do we avoid self deception, some of these vices that James has talked about? We find the key in verses 23 through 25. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. There are two keys here, and they both involve what we are looking at. The first key we see is this man who looks into a mirror intently at his natural face and then walks away and forgets what he looks like. I agree with commentator Scott McKnight when he says that there's two possibilities here and they're probably both what James is getting at here. He is either strictly using this as a metaphor or he is telling us about something that we need to do. I think it's both. I think he's using this as an obvious metaphor because he's telling us what not to do, and then he tells us what to do, and he's using the imagery of what we look into. So there is a metaphor, a comparison here. But I, I think also there's a key to what happens here. As we, It says the man looks in the mirror and sees his natural self, his natural face in the mirror. One thing that James is getting at here is when we look in the mirror, we see who we really are. And there's two sides to that, right? He uses this word natural or original. What he's talking about is when we look into the mirror, when we look into God's law, when we look into God's character, when we look into God's word, we see two things about ourselves. One, we see that we are made in the image and likeness of God. We talked about how important this was last week that we see ourselves and all other men, women, and children as made in the image of God. When we look at our natural face in the mirror, we should see, I am made in the image of God. This is an important factor in knowing who God is and knowing who we are. It's looking and seeing, I am made in the image of God. I am made to have perfect fellowship with him and with others, knowing God's design for us is very important. But because of the fall, because of our nature, because of our daily choices, something else happens when we look in the mirror and we see our natural selves. We don't always like what we see. When we look at God's perfection, when we look at his law, when we look at the Old Testament, the New Testament, when we look at what God requires of us, when we hear Jesus say, be holy as I am holy, we look at that and we look ourselves in the mirror and say, that's not me. That's not who I'm supposed to be. So we see both things as we look at our natural face in the mirror. So we look at our natural face in the mirror. We see we're made in the image of God, but we've fallen short of his glory. And then we step away and we forget. We forget both things that we're made in the image of God and that we have fallen short of God's glory. We forget who we are. So James says, don't do that. We need to look somewhere else. He says, But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Remember, this is the ideal that James is holding up for us in this scripture a person who hears and then does, a person who reads scripture, and then does what it says. A person who comes to church, hears what God is telling them, and then goes out and does it. Someone who feels prompted by the Spirit of God and listens to it and leans into it instead of going away from it. And James tells us how to do that. He tells us that we need to look into the perfect law, the law of liberty. When we hear the word law, as we read through the Bible, there are two laws that are given to us. And we're gonna talk about both of them tonight, because both of them are instructive. We're given the law in the Old Testament, at least 613 laws explicitly. There's more if you read the fine print. There's at least 613 laws in the Old Testament that show us who God is, they show us who we are, they show us how to treat one another. They differentiate God's people from the people that are not God's people. They differentiated the nation of Israel from the Gentile nations around them that worshipped pagan gods and idols. We see the law in the Old Testament and it shows us who God is. God made a distinction between his people and people that were not his people by giving them the law. It showed them who he was, who they are, what he required of them. So that's one law. Tonight we're also going to learn about this law of liberty. But first, as we look at this law in Deuteronomy Deuteronomy 5, 6, right before God gives his people the Ten Commandments, so there's 613 laws, but the Ten Commandments are a summary of the law. And before he lays that out for them, he reminds them of something that we talked about last week. He says to them in Deuteronomy 5, 6, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. And then the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Before God gives them this summary of the law in the Ten Commandments, he says, remember, I'm the one that delivered you out of slavery. When God gives his people the law, he is reminding them that he is a good God that delivers his people. He is a good and covenant-keeping God. We're going to talk more about that next week. He is a good God who cares for his people. The law of God, even in the Old Testament, was put in place so God's people would know who he is. They would know how they were to treat one another. They could look at their face in the mirror and know who they really were. The law was given to help God's people. It showed the heart of God. It showed them what was the kind of thriving life that he had created them for. It gave them boundaries and guardrails around them to show them what life was supposed to look like. And when they stepped outside of those guardrails, things went haywire for them, for others, for families, for other nations they came in contact with. God gave his people the law so that they would know him. The problem is that they couldn't live up to it. They couldn't live up to God's law. There were 613 laws that governed all kinds of areas of life. And if we read the Old Testament, we see time and time again, God's people could not live up to his law. In fact, a huge majority of the Old Testament is just a testament of seeing what it looks like when people don't honor their faithfulness to God and they go their own way. One commentator I read recently said that you can summarize the Old Testament by just saying God keeps giving his people chances. It's a great summary. It shows his faithfulness, but it shows that no matter how hard they tried, they could not keep his law, And whether we're talking about the Old Testament law or we're talking about the New Testament law or if we're just thinking of the standards we have for ourselves or the standards others have for us or the standards that society has for us, we can't measure up either. We can't check off all the boxes and the more responsibilities we get in our life, the more opportunities we have in our life the more opportunities there are, are also to fall short, to not live up to what we are supposed to do, to not live up to God's law, our law, society's law. We can't keep up. So there is something else built in to God's law from the beginning. God's law shows us who he is. God's law shows us who we are. God shows us how to treat one another. But the last thing it shows us is our need for a savior. Our need for help. James tells us that we need to look into this law of liberty. And this law of liberty is what Jesus has offered us. This law of liberty is the miracle of God's saving work on our behalf. James describes that miracle in a couple of different passages here. In James 1.18, he says of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. He says in James 1.21, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. James is telling us here that we need a supernatural act of God in order to be doers of the word and not hearers only. It only takes a little bit of understanding to nod our heads and assent to the things that God's word, spirit, and people are saying are true. It takes a supernatural act of God for us to be doers of the word. It takes a supernatural act of God for us to become people that love our neighbor instead of just loving ourselves. It takes a supernatural act of God to not show partiality to anyone and everyone that isn't just like us and doesn't do things our way. It takes a supernatural act of God. What James is speaking of in these verses is receiving a work that only God can do. Something amazing happens when we relinquish control to our Heavenly Father through submission to his word and his spirit. There's a negative feedback loop that we get in of sin and deception and the flesh, but what he's talking about here is a positive feedback loop of the law of liberty at work in our lives. If we look at the Old Testament... We see that even built into God's words in the Old Testament before Christ came, before the new covenant, before this law of liberty came into being, in the Old Testament, the prophet Jeremiah prophesies about a new day that will come. Would you turn with me to Jeremiah 31? Jeremiah 31, it's about in the middle of your Bible. Jeremiah 31 God prophesies that one day he will send this law of liberty and this salvation for his people. Jeremiah 31, starting in verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, Me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. This is the law of liberty that James is talking about, prophesied here in Jeremiah, fulfilled ultimately in what Jesus did on the cross, offering us a new law, offering us something that the law was powerless to do, and that's being made right with God. Being made right with God, having a relationship with this holy God. Here, God puts it this way. In Jeremiah 31, we just read that though you went your own way, though I was your husband, though you went and sinned against me, We are still that church. We are still those people who know what God requires when we open up his word, and yet we go the other way. We need a law of liberty at work in our life that comes only through Jesus Christ, through the miracle of the good news of the gospel. That is the law of liberty that we are to intently look into. We have been given what is prophesied in Jeremiah in Jesus and what he accomplished on the cross for us. 1 Corinthians 9.21 calls it the law of Christ. We are not outside the law of God, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 9, but now we are under the law of Christ. The law of Christ, the law of liberty. This is what the New Testament calls a, it. James 1.12 says, So speak and so act as those who are being judged under the law of liberty. This law of Christ, this law of liberty, this law of salvation found in what Christ has done. The New Testament talks about this over and over and over again. What the law of liberty and the law of Christ, the new covenant that God has made with his people, what it looks like. A couple of samplings here, Romans 8 verses 1 through 3 it says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then it says the Father sending the Son did something that it was impossible for the law to do. It brought us near to our God. It says the law was impossible to bring us ultimately closeness to a holy God. But what the law was powerless to do, the Father did through the Son. We now can have a close relationship with God. In Jeremiah, it says here, we won't have to just teach people about this is what it's like to know God because they will all know God. Because they will be under the law of liberty. Because the spirit of the living God will live in men and women and children like you and me. And the spirit of the living God will speak directly To us, human beings, fallen humans like you and me, the spirit of the living God speaking directly to us. That's the new covenant. That's the new law that James is talking about. The author of Hebrews puts it this way in chapter 7, verse 18. Through Christ, a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. This is what James is telling us to look intently into so that we become doers of the word and not hearers only. Because as we talk about so much around here, if we know good news, we share it with everyone. And when we look intently into the law of liberty, we see a holy God... We see a fallen me that does not live up to that holy God, and we see a beautiful Savior that has brought us near to God. We see a new and better hope. We see a great high priest whose name is love. We see what Jesus accomplished that the law never could. The law could never purify us. The law could never change us to the point where we could have a perfect relationship with the Holy God. What the law, what it was impossible for the law to do, Christ did on our behalf. So what does the law of liberty look like? How do we look intently into this perfect law that gives freedom and find the kind of life that God has offered us? How do we become doers of the word? Before I jump into this, if you're sitting here thinking, I still have questions. I still want to know what James means when he says faith. Well, there's a reason that we haven't fully defined that word faith that James keeps using. It's because he hasn't fully defined it yet either. James writes in a fashion that made perfect sense for a letter that was read in 15 minutes to near Eastern first century Christians in Jerusalem but it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us 2,000 years later doing it one sermon at a time for 10 weeks. Because James does something here that we would not do if we were laying this out for someone else. He shows us what this looks like to live by faith. And he shows us the negative and the positive of being doers of the word and not hearers only. And then at the end of chapter two, he gives us the theological justification for everything he just said. It would not pass as a dissertation, but it's the way he laid it out, and so that's the way we're covering it as well. So if you feel like we have not satisfactorily dug into the theological underpinnings of what this word faith means, we will next week. So um, we're going to end today, though, by looking at what does it look like To look intently into the law of liberty. What does it look like to be under the law of Christ? What does it look like to be a doer of the word when it comes specifically to loving our neighbor? First, knowing, believing, and obeying the word. Knowing, believing, and obeying the word. To be a disciple, we need to be people that are regularly hearing from God's Word, Spirit, and people. Then we need the Spirit's power to believe what we are hearing from God's Word, Spirit, and people. And then by the Spirit's power, we need to be doers of the Word. We need to know, believe, and obey the Word of God. What Jesus asks us to do, what Jesus tells us to do in his word, what this law of liberty tells us, what this new covenant tells us life should look like. We have four gospels that lay out the life Ministry, death, burial, resurrection, ascension of Jesus. And then we have a bunch of letters that fill out the rest of the New Testament where the apostles and disciples are writing about what does this flesh out like in a church? What does this flesh out like in biblical community and in the life of a disciple? We need to be committed to knowing what this word says, believing what it says by the Spirit's power, and then being doers of the word instead of looking intently into the law and then the law of liberty and then walking away and forgetting what it looks like forgetting that it's good news this supersedes all programs that the church puts on this supersedes what's going on in the world or in our circumstances or our stage of life this is what it means to be a disciple. It means hearing from God, believing what he says, and then obeying what he asks us to do. This is what the life of a disciple looks like. It also looks like a life of love. We talked about this last week, but John, who always writes things very bluntly in 1 John 4, says that if we say we know God's love and we don't share God's love, then we are a liar and the truth is not in us. We are to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. If we are looking intently into the law of liberty and we're seeing how much God loves us, we are going to be a person who loves well. We are going to be a person who loves well. When the implanted Word of God is, is doing its work, when we are looking intently into the law of liberty, when we are seeing clearly what Christ has done for us and what he's asking us to do, we will be a person. That loves well. Our society, our world needs to know what love looks like. Because so many do not know what love looks like. The world has hijacked this idea of love. And we say we love all kinds of things like french fries and ice cream and swimming. But we need to understand how much we have been loved, and then we need to be people of love. This life of a disciple, this life looking at the law of Christ also involves sacrifice. Sacrifice. When we see what Christ has sacrificed for us, we become people that sacrifice for God and others as well. We set aside our rights, we set aside our desires. We see that Jesus, though being in the very nature God, did not count equality with God, something to be grasped, but he took the form of a slave. And he served and he loved and he washed people's feet and he gave his very life. We need to be willing to sacrifice this model's trust in Christ, this model's that we have been loved well as we sacrifice for him and others. What does it look like to look at the, liber- the law of liberty, the law of Christ? It looks like bearing with all things. It's built into 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. Love bears all things. We need to be people that persevere, that bear well, that are long suffering as we love others in the body of Christ. We need to be people that show the world what patience and kindness and gentleness and bearing with others. So many things in our world are teaching us to be the opposite of this. The gospel shows us what true love, true bearing with one another looks like. It looks like loving people well through disagreement It looks like speaking the truth in love when there is a fence on either side or both sides. This is what love looks like. Getting very practical here. As you can see, we're just kind of drilling down deeper into love so we can know what it looks like to love our neighbor. Deference. Showing deference to other people. Setting aside our rights for the sake of someone else something that I have tried to do over the last two or three years, and it started with um, kind of really coming to understand what the word mansplaining means. If you're unfamiliar with the word, it's when a woman says something and then a man rephrases what she just said or corrects a woman in a meeting or in a group setting or that kind of thing. I became aware of what this word means and also started to see kind of what it looks like. And I'm like, that's pretty ugly. I don't want to do that. Um, And so one thing that I started doing is showing deference particularly to females or to those that were from marginalized people groups. And the way this has looked in my life is if I come up on a situation where someone has to go first and someone has to step back, I try to build a habit of stepping back, letting the other person go through the door first, letting the person go down the checkout aisle first. I've tried to build this habit in my life because it has impacted my attitude towards sacrificing and loving others in other situations. And I'm not like going to win a Nobel Peace Prize here, and I'm not here to brag on my own actions here, but it has built a habit. We need to build a habit of certain kinds of actions that show the love which we have received from God. You all can pray for me. I'm still working on uh, showing deference to other drivers. That's the next stage of sanctification, showing deference at roundabouts. That's my next step of sanctification, so please pray for me. Next, repentance and confession. People of repentance and confession. When we look at the law of Christ, when we look at the law of liberty, when we hear from God's word, spirit, and people, we should always see two things— very clearly as we look intently remember we're looking intently into the law of liberty we should always see how far we have fallen short of the glory of god and how incredibly good he has been to us we see how holy he is we see how fallen we are and we see the gap between those two things god's holiness and our holiness and then we just see how great our savior is And we see how big the debt was that we owed, that Jesus paid for us. And repentance and confession unlocks the power of the gospel in our life. As we repent of our sins, as we confess our sins to God, it unlocks the good news. It reminds us of the good news. When we repent and confess in relationships, it unlocks the power of the gospel. At the end of a time repenting of our sin, confessing of our sin to God or others, we always see the gospel more clearly. Perhaps we should be more willing to do it. We should be more willing to do it, to see the power of the gospel. And lastly, we need to get active in loving people. We need to get active in living out this law of liberty. We need to get active and be people that do what God is prompting us to do. One of our fears and concerns that we have as pastors and leaders of Grace Community Church is that we would say we're a people of the word because our preachers most often preach verse by verse through the Bible. We think that that is part of being people of the word, hearing from God's word on a weekly basis, seeing it picked apart in Bible studies, that's part of being people of the word. But James is telling us here, we are not people of the word until we do the word. We are not people of the word until we show people what the word looks like, or we show people what our deep theology we say we believe looks like by how we love others. James is saying you don't know good news unless you're doing good news. Unless you're good news to someone else, unless you're good news to the world and the society that you live in, then you don't know the good news. And there's this positive feedback loop that happens when we become doers of the word. Because when we do what God asks us to do, his spirit moves and fruit comes from that. And we learn what it looks like to walk in the spirit. We learn what it looks like to love our neighbor. And it becomes infectious. It becomes a habit. Just like that little act of showing deference towards others has changed my ability to sacrifice for others over time. As we obey God and do what he says, we see this is how life is supposed to work. This is how things are supposed to look. This is how people are supposed to treat one another. And we're inspired to do more of it and see the Spirit do more and more in our lives and in our world. So we need to not just be hearers of the word, not just nod and assent to what is true, but to be people of action demonstrating and declaring the good news of what Jesus has done for us. Would you spend a moment with me praying to that end? Father, I would ask that you would speak very specifically to each one here right now. And Father, would you show each of us what you would have us do God, for some of us, it's looking into this law of liberty for the first time and knowing the liberty and freedom that comes from Christ and him being what we could not be. God, your word tells us that Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God, I pray that each one here would believe that good news tonight. God, and as we believe that good news, show us what it looks like to demonstrate and declare this good news to others. Jesus, thank you that what the law was powerless to do, you accomplished for us. The law could never make us holy, but Jesus, you lived a perfect life. You always did the will of the Father. You showed us what perfect righteousness and justice and love and faith looked like. And you died a sinner's death. You died in our place. Jesus, thank you for what you have done. Jesus, thank you that your word tells us that this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. Father, show us what you would have us do. Speak to us through your word, your spirit, and your people as we go out into this week. In Jesus' name, amen. A couple of things uh, of note as we close the service here. One is we are coming up on the season of Backyard Bible Clubs. Backyard Bible Clubs, if you are unaware, takes the idea of a vacation Bible school, but it takes it to the neighborhoods. It it happens in parks and in people's backyards. It's a great way uh, to reach kids with the good news of the gospel. Since we transitioned It's been 10 years now uh, from Vacation Bible School to Backyard Bible Clubs. We have seen about 50% of the kids involved in Backyard Bible Clubs don't have a church home, don't know the gospel. So it's a great opportunity to share the good news with kiddos. So if you have kids, you can sign them up online on our events page on the website. Also, if you would like to volunteer, we would really love a strong group from downtown to help out, Uh, particularly my family is gonna be helping out with one in Coralville and I know they are still looking for help, so if you'd like to help, you can let us know. You can sign up on our events page or you can email our downtown email address or respond to the weekly email and we'll help you get signed up for that. And they're looking for people to do all kinds of things. all the way from just showing up and herding three-year-olds, you know, making sure they get in the right direction, to people doing skits and music and games and snacks and all kinds of things. So there is uh, a lot of ways that we can help out and make that happen. Um, in just a moment, I'm going to give you some details about our business meeting. Uh, After the service, immediately after the service in this room, we are going to have our annual business meeting that is for members where we will walk through the budget as well as some announcements uh, for members. I'll walk you through those details in just a moment. I want to let you know that after that business meeting, down in our office space, uh, Tabitha has invited anyone that would like to stick around after the business meeting to join her down there. I think they'll probably get started about seven. Uh, She would like a group of people, anyone who's interested to gather together to pray for our country in light of the Supreme Court decision in the Roe versus Wade case. And on that note, you will hear more from us as an elder team moving forward. We have a position paper that's coming out that explains some ways that we can love people well in light of what's going on in our country, as well as um, prayer times in the coming weeks for that as well. So stay tuned for that. For the business meeting, a couple of notes. Um, The business meeting is for members, and we're gonna stick around in here. Um, We would love your help with tearing down a lot of the chairs. We're gonna keep the first three rows set up for the members meeting, and then we will put away the rest of the chairs, so if you could help us out with that. Also, it is beautiful out on the front patio, so if you're not sticking around for the business meeting, you can continue to just hang out and talk out there on the patio. The information that's going to be presented at this business meeting is going to be made available to everyone coming up this week. So whether you're a member or not, whether you stay for the meeting or not, you are going to get the same information that is going to be given in this meeting and that was sent out to members earlier this week. Uh, There is also a more detailed budget that you can request if you'd like to look at it. We have a summary of the budget for you available tonight and we'll send one out this week. Also, if you are not a member and you would like to pursue membership, we are looking at potentially doing another members class uh, this summer because we have a number of people interested in membership. So please let us know, reply to the weekly email if you are interested in becoming a member. We would encourage you to uh, go through that process, even if you're only gonna live here one more year. Um, It's a great opportunity to see what God has called the local church to be and for you to know what we're doing here at Grace. So um but if you are sticking around for the business meeting, uh, you can just stick around here. Come up t- to the first three rows. We have a handout. Everything that was emailed out, we have in a handout form for you. Also, if you need to run tonight, uh, there is also a, the same exact meeting tomorrow night at the building in North Liberty, just so you know, in case you want to check that one out, in case you'd rather talk to other elders besides me, Joe, and Jeff. You can go tomorrow night. Please stand with me. We're going to end on our feet as we do every week because we want to be doers of the word and not hearers only. We want to obey what God's word says with our hands and our feet. Would you pray with me to that end? Father, thank you for the good news of the gospel. Thank you for the law of liberty. Thank you that what the law was powerless to do, Jesus, you accomplished for us. Thank you that we have been introduced to a new and better hope that draws us near to God, Jesus, because of what you have done. Thank you for speaking to us tonight through your word, spirit, and people. Thank you for a time of worship and fellowship, God. We pray that we would be doers of the word and not hearers only. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in your believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope.